The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Welcome to Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. I'm Nancy Allspaw Jackson. And I'm Shannon Penrod and thrilled to be here with my friend. I was just saying we've got a big, big show today. Yeah, two great guests. Yes, absolutely. Looking forward to meeting them. We've got Andrew Arbo or Arbo? I think it's Arbo, but I'm not sure. Yes, and he is uh, driving with autism, which is going to be really interesting to find out about that. It's a program. Yeah, that he leads. who has an exciting research project and is a sibling. So we're going to have someone on the spectrum. Yeah. So we're going to be uh, talking to her a little bit later on in the show. Absolutely. I want to give the programming note that we are, the show is coming to you live. It is premiering right now on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Uh, we are not, this is a pre-recorded episode for you, those of you who watch. We pre-record on Wednesday afternoon, so it's pretty up to date. Um, and then I watch live with you. So while you're watching right now, I'm there making comments in the comment section. So if you have things that you want Nancy and I to know or questions you want us to answer in the future, we love the interaction. Boy, yeah. it's now one of my favorite things, Nancy. I invite you to join me whenever you have time to, to, cause I can't in this format, I can't be talking to you, talking to the guest, right. you know, monitoring everything else. And then, and, and like writing, I, I just don't type fast enough. I just don't have that skill. Yeah. And, um, so it's fun for me to be able to watch the show back and be able to comment about things that maybe I missed or see what somebody else says. It's a real fun time. So please write in. I'm here. I enjoy the interaction with you guys. I really do love it. And Nancy, you're welcome to join whenever you want. Um, and we've got, uh, but but I do want to say that we're, we're live on those platforms and you can be writing in directly on those, but you can always email me because a lot of you are not watching when the show airs live. The vast majority of you who watch the show don't watch it live. And, and we want you to know you're not left out of the conversation you can write to me, Shannon, at autism-live.com, and then we'll put your comments into the next live show that we do where we can fit it in. So, uh, and keep in mind that if you have never watched us in podcasts, that is the preferred method by far, how people like to watch us. We are the number one rated autism podcast worldwide. That was for 2021 and now for 2022. I don't know that they ever did them before that. I don't know that there were enough podcasts for them to determine, but we are officially, this is a feed burner that, you know, moderates everything and they've named us the number one podcast, but it's really because of all of you, because you like, you share, you review, and we just ask that you keep doing that. So we're, we're a free resource and it helps us to stay on the air when you guys like us and share us and Tell somebody about us. If you know somebody who could benefit from the information on this show, put their name in the comments so that they know where to find us. They don't have to go looking for it. Uh, but anyway, so Nancy, we got a bunch of news today too. Some of it is like really blood boiling for me. I don't know about you. Blood boiling? 
Yes, I'm. I'm mad at at least one of these, but um, okay. I, I maybe two. That reaction. So I'm interested to see which yeah. story you had that reaction to. The first okay. story is out of Spectrum, and yes. um, it's actually a good story. I think so. This this one yes. I I appreciate it because it's information, right? Um, but do you want me to wade in, or you want to do it? No, I'll wade in. Early language loss in autistic children is not tied to later communication progress program pro i can't problems, problems. yeah um early language loss and regression as it is commonly known does not necessarily mean that a child is going to have problems with expression later in life which yeah you know i've always anecdotally believed that because you know yeah. think of the number of uh, individuals we've had on the show who are very accomplished and extremely verbal who have said that part of their story is they were nonverbal as a child. Yes. I've, you know, I would have loved to have heard this story when Jem was little, because it seemed like to me, once we were in the autism community, it seemed like that there were two distinct camps. Now I know that there are many more camps than that, but there were people whose children had never had language. And then there were people whose children had lost language, had language and lost it. And there was a school of thought for a long time that if your child had had language and lost it, that they were more likely to be more on the severe end of things and you were more, you were less likely to get it back. Um, which was certainly my child. My child had been speaking in full sentences and then uh, lost uh, all of he, I, you know, I would say he was virtually nonverbal because he could still make sound, but it wasn't purposeful. Right. So, um, but clearly, you know, but now Wyatt, also regressed, correct? Yes, he did. He was speaking in complete sentences and then lost a lot of words, could still do single word utterances, but lost a lot of his language. So he did regress as well. What I found was interesting in this article that didn't jive with what, with what I believe to be true is that they were saying that it's, you know, maybe... 30 to 40% of kids who regress into autism. And I've always heard that it's higher than that, that it's 50%. And um, some of the criticism, you know, whenever you put out a study, you're required to have people look at it and say, here are the flaws with your study. And some of the criticism for this study is that their view of regression is very narrow. It is that you were speaking in sentences and that you lost it. Now, clearly our kids would, would qualify for that, but there are other kids who they were babbling and then stopped, or they were interested in people and they stopped and they were not including those kiddos in the regression category. And, and the people who, you know, were reviewing this, as do I think that that is, that is not an accurate look then at how many people regress. But I do think the good takeaway is that they were saying in both camps um, that if even if even if you never had language or you had language and you regressed, that there were plenty of opportunities for you to get that language back to where and, and that it's possible that you could have no issues with communicating later on in your life. And I think that that is the big takeaway and that one wasn't significantly better or worse than the other. So that made me happy. 
Uh, should we go on to the next story? Yeah, let's this go is the one that made my blood boil, Nancy. Your blood didn't boil about the judge ruling about okay, the transplant? Okay, yes. This is a story out of England, uh, out of the Daily Mail. And um, basically, the headline is that a judge is to rule if a transplant is in the best interest of an autistic teen um, who is 17 years old, um, and he suffers from kidney disease after his mother called for the operation despite advice from the doctors. So a judge is to rule on this case because there is a lot of controversy, Shannon. Yes, um, and to be fair to both sides, this is a, this is a very nuanced case that the the issue that this young man is having it, that it, that's quite rare. Um, depending on who you talk to, apparently, you know there. The mom is saying that there's a 50% chance that if the transplant works, that he will be okay. Yes. Um, the hospital is saying that there's an 80% chance that it won't work and that it, it won't be a successful transplant. And they're making the argument that because of his autism, that in the first days after the transplant, that they'll pretty much have to sedate him sedate for like for, over a month. For It's over a month. I believe it was six weeks. Yeah. Um, it, so... A considerable amount of time. Well, and I, of course, think that all of that is BS. Yes, they're saying that uh, essentially William would require sedation and ventilation for possibly up to six weeks to ensure that he complies with the interventions post-operatively. Yeah, hear that, to ensure that he complies with the intervention post-operative. Now, see, I want to I want to send, and now a judge is going to decide whether or not he gets this kidney transplant. And I think I'm going to cry BS on all of this because deciding all this in the courts, I'd like to send an ABA team in to help him to know here's what's going to happen and here's how you're going to react and see if they can teach him. They don't have to sedate this man, right. this young man for six weeks. To, you know, he can be taught how to deal with this intervention. And, and you know, perhaps he can't, but has anybody tried yet? And it makes me mad because if we're going to start making determinations on this, then then why are they putting a new liver into someone who, you know, is, is not taking care of themselves? That's, we don't do that in our society. We shouldn't do that. And we cannot have our kids be discriminated against for medical health because you think they won't be able to do the intervention. I'm, this makes my blood boil. I see where you're coming from, Shannon, that they're not even making an attempt to see if he could do postoperatively what he would require doing with proper therapy, ABA, for example, to see if yes. he could uh you know, do what is, what is expected. And I got to say that I think that this kind of thing happens all the time. And part of the reason why I'm so cheesed off about it is that I remember very distinctly when Jem was in preschool, that a terrible flu went through the preschool and those little kids were so sick. Oh my gosh. And Jem was one of the kids who got sick. And there was a little boy that we were friends with. He's in the same class. We went to the same emergency room on the same day. And they gave him IV fluids, the other little boy. Um, and he was back to school three days later and he was totally fine. They did not give IV fluids to Jem. And Jem was sick for another three weeks. And it was a terrible, terrible recovery period. 
And later on, when I, when I found this out, I went back to the emergency room and said, why did you not give my child the same treatment that you, oh, he had autism and we didn't think that he could handle fluids by IV. Mm. They just decided. They just decided without discussing it with you. And they just decided. And their assumption was, cause I had disclosed and, and in the other boy's case, there was nothing to disclose. So they didn't give it to him. They, they gave him the IV and they didn't give it because they were like, oh, it's too hard to give a little boy with, aut- with autism IV fluids. So they denied him treatment based on their knowledge. Right. And, and my son absolutely could do an IV and would have benefited from it. So this kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Blood boiling. Yes. Right now. My doctor is saying blood pressure. All right. Our first guest is here. So we got to move are, it along. We are definitely siding with the mother on this. This is going to be interesting to see how the case of William Verdon uh, turns out. He is a really pleasant, expressive boy in the photos, in the article. And he's on dialysis right now, which right. is no way for a 17-year-old to live. No. Anyway, uh, should we move on uh, to our next story? Because we've, we've got more more ground to cover. Autism yes. parenting. Go ahead. Is ASD connected to intellect? And now this is quite a lengthy article. Oh, yeah. Autism parents. Yeah. And I don't know about you, Shannon, but I never really got a concrete answer to that in the article. No. In fact, what she did was give a bunch of information that, you know, from both camps and, you know, where it is and where it isn't. And are we even measuring intelligence the right way? I didn't find a definitive answer to this. But I will say this, I, certainly when we first got the diagnosis, this was a question that I was asking everyone. I was like, well, you know, does this have an impact on his intellect? And I never really got a straight answer because mm-hmm. I guess there isn't a straight answer um, except to say that the one thing she does say is that this is a huge spectrum, it's a ginormous spectrum. And so there's everything under the sun within this spectrum. And there are some people who absolutely have an intellectual advantage on the spectrum where they are, their intellect, their IQ is higher than neurotypical people. And that there is certainly, there are people that are on the autism spectrum that are right in line with the neurotypical population and then there are certainly people who are on the autism spectrum who are what would be considered uh, having an intellectual disability and that all those things are true and that there's no, you know, hard and fast rule about any of it. But, but there's a lot of information in the article. It is in Autism Parenting Magazine. If this is a question that you have, what it will do is give you lots of resources to go find the answer for yourself. Right. That's the best thing that comes out of the article is a lot of resources. And But then, this last story makes me a little hot under the collar, too. Well, this last story is an interesting one because there it, it's about the concerns, um, a lot of the misinformation they're saying that are swirling online after the CDC has tweaked their developmental milestones for children. Yeah. Well, first of all, I didn't know. Did you know that the CDC had recently gone in and tweaked the developmental milestones? I did, I did not. Like, know. how did that get past us? Because you know, we're we're looking for this news um, all the time. But somehow, the CDC went in and said, "Oh, you know, we've said in the past that children should be speaking by this age, and now we're going to move it several months the other way." 
Um, which means that if you take your child to the pediatrician and they're not speaking, then no red flags are going to get raised because of this. Now, some people came forward and said, did you do this because of masks? Is our masks has have masks had such an impact on development of speech that this is why you're moving this. CDC has not confirmed that. Um, but either way, I'm not as upset about the whole, you know, is it because of masks? I'm upset that they did it at all. I don't mm-hmm. care what their reasoning is. That will prevent children from getting resources and help. By right. normal, whatever your reason, normalizing that speech comes later will set us back years. I so it, this makes my blood boil too. So there we go. There's why my blood was boiling this morning. <laughs> Uh, anyway, should we go to our guests? Yes, let's go to our guest, Shannon. Um, do we have Andrew here? Yes, Andrew okay. is with us. Our first guest is Andrew Arbeau. He is the founder of Driving with Autism. Previously, he was director of community outreach for planning across the spectrum. And Andrew's special interest is on driving. He wants to help others navigate the driving journey with more supports than he had. He's basing this on his own experience. He helped inspire the first driving program in Connecticut for the autism community. And he hosts monthly webinars uh, that break the topic down, make it more approachable for families and individuals. Mm -hmm. And he shares in those, he shares his personal journey and uh, goes over motivation and strategies. And he's Quite accomplished. He graduated from Manchester Community College with an associate degree as a disability specialist. He's currently attending Charter Oak State College for a bachelor's degree in psychology, and he hopes to get certified in both autism and driver rehab fields soon. So, uh, Andrew, welcome to the show. Um, thank you for having me there. And I'm still part of Planning Across the Spectrum just for that quick uh, collection. Wonderful. But again, um, everything else is top notch. <laughs> okay, great, great. Um, Andrew, tell us first of all, what is driving with autism? Excellent question. Um, it is, it is my new my newest uh, company. It's a kind of like an online program. It deals because we're not really connected to a driving school. We're not connected with state or like federal levels. We kind of just own po- kind of just its own program, and just deals with driver prep. It's kind of like how someone can pursue the driving journey at like any point, either if it's very at the beginning or maybe they're still at a driving school uh, or at any point of that driving journey. And the, and the main function of the program is the seven part webinar series. Uh, currently I'm in the winter session, but I announced our spring session and there's probably gonna be a summer and fall session. So it's a series that's like ongoing and it handles uh, topics like driver's moridation I'm a huge believer in moridation, and once someone attends the webinars, it's very telling that I'm very solutions based, and I'm not yellow, not yelling uh, John Chaffer's uh, type of way. I'm a huge bar, bar rescue. I watch so much of that, and I just enjoy that philosophy. Without the yelling, mind you, for the yelling is very entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> but I just like solutions based. Um, like I'm not one for not one for victimizing, like I always believe in just be able to empower people and just respecting, just expecting their selective choices for driving because it's, it's very, it's very personal. I love like, that. Like I mentioned, like I, 
that I went for driving because, well, I had to because employment. Because employment, because, well, I have to make use of that degree while I am going for my bachelor's. I mean, I'm currently taking a break just because life's got really crazy and I want to get a good feel of running this company in particular. Wonderful. So, Andrew, I've got a question for you because um, mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of us are like, when, if we're the parent of a wonderful individual right. on a spectrum, mm-hmm. what signs need to be showing that? that would say to us that they would be ready to work on driving? Like, do you just carte blanche, everybody should work on driving? Or are there specific things that that lead you to say, okay, this person is ideal to start working on this? Um, very good question. It just, it depends on various things, various things that there's like an expressed interest. One should never force anyone to just do that and that's it. Absolutely not, because as Stephen Shore said, you only you meet one person. You only meet that one specific person. Yes. <laughs> and what? And while I know statistics currently have it like one in three teens. I know it's like an old study from I think it was Speaks or some some other um, organization that did that particular study there. And so there's a lot of gray areas. And I actually did a lot of past consultations through Planning Across the Spectrum a year ago, just kind of getting like a good feel of new drivers and parent perspectives. And I like to take in a lot of perspectives because I just have my own experience and I'm in no way, like I cannot possibly present uh, so many other drivers out there. And I, I think there can be only be one um, Andrew Wobble in terms of driver, unless there's a hundreds of me that are listening to video game music as I drive. Something I use to hyper-focus a lot. I don't think a lot of drivers can top that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it just depends on various things. Like on motivation, again, stress that in search suspenses because what life happens. And I think I was, I originally wanted to start driving around when I was 21, but um, but it was after I graduated my post uh, program and I kind of wanted to get a good feel of my part-time job at the time. So I kind of put it off and I was using a lot of buses for my community college experience. So in that case, I kind of weighed it off and I went back to it when I was like 23 and I got my license back uh, 2018 when I was uh, 25. Oh, okay. It just depends. But again, it's also important. And to go back on the consultations, it's important to kind of look at any potential red flags, if anything that might stand out. Like, like if there's any specific conditions, like obviously seizures could probably give someone a lot of, of challenges to kind of overcome, of finding kind of the right solutions for that. And again, and there's a lot of possibilities. Like I keep keep seeing, I keep kind of keep seeing a lot of stuff on driving. Like I know with uh, deaf drivers, people that drive that are, have a lot of specific hearing issues, for lack of a better term. Um, apologies if anyone's super picky. Not trying to. <laughs> the intent, not the actual wording itself. But there, there's like just a lot of possibilities. It's kind of just uh, just a potential of just people in general that keeps keeps surprising me every day. Again, just very, just, and then pretty much uh, long story short, just it depends on numerous factors and a lot of personal ones. It could be just inner reasons and a lot of those should be approached. And again, you don't have to throw them off to a high rate right away. And absolutely do not. <laughs> but again, self-pace yourself is key. Like pacing yourself and seeing what makes sense and what doesn't make sense. Right. And don't push them off the highway. (laughs) Andrew, um, you've referred to when you started driving and um, 
let's talk a little bit about your background. Can you tell us about your journey when you were diagnosed and how you, what led you to doing the work you're doing today? I have a trip. Um, I was diagnosed around five or six. It was like early 2000s. So it was kind of shortly after there was a lot more attention to autism. Like the 90s were still kind of building over time. And then the 80s, you have Temple Grandin starting to emerge, starting to emerge and start like speaking everywhere. So it was, it was kind of that, I guess the 90s, it could safely say be that odd spot where people were still learning, while I can only imagine there were numerous around stereotypes. And then the concept of neurodiversity was also being developed, I think, 99, 1999 with uh, Julius Singer, if I'm not mistaken. If I get some of that wrong, probably someone will crucify me at some point, but <laughs> there was still a lot of things. And and I was trying to with someone that just was into video games super much. Like video games probably drove my brother and probably uh, past sisters just crazy. Probably the school. So like I would be someone that would talk about Pokemon a lot, that being a major interest. And also in, in the late 90s in the Pokemon craze, like of course, like of course, like that was pretty much like one of the most big, one of the notable uh, cultural phenomenons out there during that time, late, uh, late 90s and early 2000s. <laughs> Our and producer then, is I, identifying with everything that you're saying. <laughs> I just got a private message. I just got that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, hope you didn't mind with that, but I had to react. No, <laughs> I got no, that at the okay. exact same time. Exactly. Um, actually, there is a Pokemon plush that's hanging up there. I completely forgot. I thought it would be like a Zoom background, but I'm fine with the office one. But <laughs> <laughs> um, but how I got into um, autism field, it's something that still I never expected to, to kind of be where I'm at right now. What started was at high school. I was really thinking about cooking, believe it or not. Um, not because of Gordon Ramsay or John Taffer, just kind of more was thinking of something that makes sense for me. I did did some cooking at home numerous times. Not as much, but I know I had to still basics. And a lot of times my dad shoots me down on cooking if I wanted to help him. So with on that end, and also the high school where I was at, they closed down the cooking uh, cooking class right when I was about to become a junior. So whip on that too. And I did actually had, I think I had like a job course. I think I had like a job site thing when I was in a post education program and it was too chaotic too chaotic, a lot of this moving around. And I had no idea what in the heck I was doing. <laughs> I was like, where do you find this? Where do you find this? And a lot of people like move around. It's kind of like some of the stuff you see in Kitchen Nightmares. Again, reality TV, but some of that like fast pace. I wouldn't say Hell's Kitchen because well, Hell's Kitchen is a lot more, could be a bit more staged while it is reality TV, but it's pretty much one of those uh, high stress uh, environments. So that didn't work for me. And I kind of stood out, again, I'm usually one that tend to make things harder for me. Uh, to go back to driving for a little bit, um, I could have chosen to look for like autism services and driving in case of accommodations. I chose not to, not because of any stigmas or stereotypes or whatever. Um, I just wanted to just, just go through the, this program in particular. You mentioned that one of the reasons that was important to you was so that you could get to work and that you could get to college. And I think you know, as our kids grow older, it, it, it just becomes more and more clear to me all the different things that, that they need to be independent. And um, we have a dear friend, Andrew, that um, passed away a, a little over a year oh. ago. Her name was Joanne hmm. Laura, and she was the head oh. of Autism Works Now. 
And Joanne would always say to us, everyone deserves to have a job because that's how you get a seat at the table. And, and I'm seeing now that part of having a job, I don't know why this didn't occur to me before, but my, my son wasn't working before and he wasn't going mm -hmm. to school someplace else before, but how you get there is sometimes, you know, a, a measure of what kind of work you'll mm -hmm. be doing, because if you can't get to the job, you can't do it. So is independence one of the big reasons why you advocate for, for people on the spectrum to be driving? It's more personal. I kind of want something to exist. And while there's a lot of ambiguous elements that you go into driving, I mean, there is a reason, like, uh, like a selective number. Again, that was based on that uh, 2017 study. Yeah. It could be a lot different. And there's actually been a lot more research lately on, on autism and driving, almost to say driving with autism. It's just, it's like almost my language right now. <laughs> But there was a lot more research, like, uh, I think it was like a month or two ago, there was that uh, study with the caretakers and how how they, not play around, but how they try to answer parents' questions. And they mentioned, I think it was mentioned that they weren't really equipped. I could be wrong. It's been a little while since I looked at it, but it's kind of like an example of most recent research. And then you have, you have like select places in the, in, in the United States, like, the New Jersey uh, New University over there, and then the Philadelphia Children's Hospital that are doing kind of constant autism research. Two places I have my eyes on because they've just been the most consistent in terms of transportation studies, especially both of those locations. So again, the little things that be probably be, may look a lot different on the research end. Great. Um, Andrew, can, can you tell us about some success stories that you've experienced in doing this work? On, on my end or with oh, those you've worked with with those you've worked with a uh, good one and i will probably will put, in, put in my own as well because again i can only like again i'm a huge like i don't try to speak for everyone else because i'm again just my own like i said they can only be one angel wobble uh <laughs> but for the people that i had from consultations like I had a couple and a couple that also kind of wanted to do their own thing because, hey, I was, this was all was happening during the pandemic, which may or may or not still be a thing. It's hard to tell right now, <laughs> but, um, but, it, but I got several cases where I would hear if they passed like a written test, like those sort of things, like, I'd be like, awesome. Like I like to check, like I checked in with them like every several weeks, each person, there was a couple that did attend their license and that always makes me happy but i'm also accepting that if they need time to do other stuff like it honestly is fine especially again pandemic time so that and then just to go for my own and for my own success well outside like the company it just a lot of fulfillment the fact that i was able to go to all the places and um, before the pandemic i used to be everywhere in autism events in the state of connecticut like i'd be going to like the south side of connecticut i'd be going to like uh danbury Danbury, close to the Newark border, close to the upstate, I think it was the upstate Newark border, not the city part. Like I'd be going, like I would be all over the place. And the last week or couple, I've been tempted to do a little trip to Massachusetts. And also, this is something I discovered today. Google Maps, when I use that as GPS, I have the little um, mouth thing on my phone because I'm one for hands-free. 
And there was a lot of cool devices that you could use to kind of make it so you could put it near your steering wheel. Not where it attacks the phone, mind you, but kind of put it near it. And you, when you drain you drive, you, you don't have to do like this. You could be like, like, you don't, you barely have to move your head. And I love those. And now they have the air vents. So that makes life easy and nothing sticks. And I discovered today was an auction in your Google Maps thing where you could pretty much do plan trips without tolls. And I'm like, this whole time, this whole time I could have been going to different parts of Massachusetts or even Newark if I want to. Not the city part. I, I dare not to drive in Newark City traffic. Okay. That that's like a whole new dimension of driving, oh, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. <laughs> it's like things that you discover over time. Right. Yeah. So Andrew, where can people go? What's your website? Where can they go if they're interested in a consultation or they want to take your course? I um that would um there are several websites. On um, the main website is autismdriving.com. When you go on there, you'll see a lot of our you see the webinar series that are paid. They kind of go over specific packages that come with additional resources. And we also have free resources as well, including the free to download ebook. And we have a blog page full of many blog topics. The most recent we actually went up is anxiety. That's something I've been looking forward to. I've been seeing a lot more reactions on the anxiety on the anxiety topic. And each topic relates to the relates to the more relates to the webinar topics. Check those out. And again, www.autismdriving.com. And if and to find us, and you can find me on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. Just search up Driving with Autism. And that's where you see the latest updates. And in the future, there'll be a there'll be a newsletter coming up, newsletter system coming up that I'm looking for that people have been signing up that I'm hoping to launch that very soon. And again, our spring series is coming up on the midst of two more topics left in the winter session, which is crazy. Uh, like yes, literally yesterday, I actually talked about the police one being one of the one of the seven topics. Okay, and is there? I assume there's a cost associated with it, Andrew. What does it cost to take the class? Okay, uh, package one, which is kind of like the basic deal. That's kind of like you get the courses and you get some resources, mostly the state, mostly access to like the state DMV website and a few others. There'd be like a good little jump kick. The package one is free ninety nine, and then package two which comes with additional resources and a personal 16 minute consultation with myself, um, five and five forty nine. And there's also, there are deals and coupons. So be on the lookout for those as well. All right, Andrew, thank you so much for being with us. We really appreciate hearing from you and uh, hearing about all the amazing work you're doing. Thank you. Andrew. Um, thank you so much. Oh, sorry. Um, thank you very much for having me on here. We appreciate We've enjoyed it. it. We've enjoyed it. You take it. care. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Uh, what what a entrepreneurial thinking young man! Remarkable young man, isn't he? Love it, love it. Um, our next guest uh, is—I'm so excited. It's not her first time being on the show, but it's the first time I, I don't even recognize her because she's like a grown adult now. Okay, it's hurting my feelings. Like how what a grown, beautiful adult woman she is. But Nancy, tell us all about Madeline. Is Madeline? right? Madeline, and who is known as Maddie, you said. Madeline yes. Dabb, she's a high school senior. She's taking AP, an AP research class and working on her final thesis paper. She's from an amazing family. Uh, you just had her mother, Summer Dabbs, 
who was an OT on the show last week, right, Shannon? Yes. Yes. And her brother is Boyd Hauser. Madeline is here to share with us about being a sibling to a person on the spectrum and to tell us how we can play a role in supporting siblings and about her research project. Welcome to the show, Madeline. Hi, thank you so much. Great to have you. We understand you're on a break from class, you busy young woman, you. Yeah, I'm outside school right now, so I apologize if there's some background noise, but I'm very excited. Okay. We're just happy you could join us. First of all, Madeline, tell us about your research project and how viewers can help with that. Yeah, so um, I'm in the AP research class, which is part of a two-year AP capstone course. Basically, um, our final year, we get to just spend the whole year working on a thesis project um, about something we're passionate about. So, of course, my heart gravitated towards um, kids on the spectrum. So something I kind of noticed when I was growing up was just how a lot of the support for families of individuals with autism was aimed at, um, you know, the parents or the, the prior or the um, main caretakers. And there wasn't a lot of, I don't know, like support or resources for siblings. And um, of course, the whole experience of being a sibling is so incredibly rewarding, like seeing your sibling grow. And, you know, my brother is my biggest inspiration. It's incredibly rewarding. But there's also parts that can be like scary or, um, you know, in the beginning, can there's a lot of unknowns. And so I did some research and I found there's kind of a gap in that um, level of support for families of individuals with autism. So my study is kind of just focused on identifying the need for um, support for siblings. So um, I made a survey um, that just basically asked the question like for siblings, do you need support? Do you wish you had support in what ways sort of? So that's kind of the gist of what I'm trying to do. Fantastic, Madeline. Sorry, that was my bad. That was my bad. My mic was off. Um, so, uh, what do you, so this is a survey that you, that you got us, uh, that you would like to share. Cause you need some people to participate in this. I just, Trayvon, I just gave you the link to the survey. I don't know how you can put it up in the screen or what, how we'll make sure that it gets in the chat too, for the live, but what is it that you hope will come out of this? Uh, Madeline, I keep wanting to call you Maddie. Forgive me because that's how I've known you since you were little. And now you're this grown up, fabulous woman doing these fabulous things. But what would you like to come out of this? Yeah, um, I would just like kind of, I guess, my experience to be um, similar to other experiences. Not that I want everyone to have, you know, a negative experience, but I just want to be able to recognize and make other siblings be seen in the way that I wish I might have been seen. Um, so, so far I've gotten responses that, um, have been kind of the same way I felt just, you know, um, I'm mainly focusing on the effects of in-home therapies, uh, on siblings, because that was a major part of, I think my childhood was, you know, always having ABA or, um, speech therapy in the house and being a main, um, part of that. I was always participating. I was always helping, you know, being kind of like the social, um, element in the therapy sessions. And I guess, um, I hope to maybe, if that is a factor that is identified through my survey, that could cause these feelings of jealousy or even maybe trauma. You know, you see your sibling being put through the ringer, um, meltdowns, you see the good, the bad, you see progress, but you see that rough journey of getting there. Um, I want to see if maybe there needs to be reform and maybe the, the um, way ABA is or other therapies are included in the home and maybe the inclusion of the sibling. But most importantly, um, I think the most important question at the end of my survey is what kind of supports you wish you needed. And that's going to be kind of the basis for my um, 
uh, analysis part of my thesis is just looking at all the different, you know, ideas and finding commonalities in the responses and crafting a plan of action um, to support these siblings, whether that's um, counseling or just support groups or maybe like a pamphlet for families that's given to like doctor's offices or stuff like that, just to recognize that, you know, siblings are a main caretaker as well and should be given those same resources that parents are. Madeline, let's talk a little bit about your experience along those lines. What what type of supports do you wish you had had? I'm sure that a lot of this work comes out of out of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I definitely think I wish I had just other, like a, a community of other um, siblings I could reach out to. I did have some, um, but as I've done my research, I noticed a lot of like, you know, Facebook groups and um, websites all geared towards parents, which is um, apparent, but I wish I just had kind of a community and, um, you know, maybe just a counselor or someone who specialized in kind of this um, community because it's very specific and I just kind of felt alone in some periods of time, you know, when my I would be spend my weekends, you know, at the clinic and stuff and my friends would be out doing this thing. And um, I think just a bigger uh, recognition of the work I was doing um, in terms of babysitting, you know, helping my brother try new foods, you know, I was always part of the ABA sessions. I think just more recognition for the work that siblings do put in, because I know there's also a lot of pressure, you know, when um, eventually parents aren't able to take care of their kid anymore, like in the later years that, um, you know, your sibling becomes your responsibility in some cases. I know that pressure can sometimes be a lot to think about at a young age, and you kind of have to plan your head, your life really far ahead. Um, and I think just having a group of people that I could talk to that also had that same sort of experience and are worrying about those sort of things as well would have been really nice. Um, and that's what I hope to accomplish, maybe like a support group in at least my area or in other areas. Um, just kind of spread the word, I think. Yeah. Interesting. And, I, you know, I don't know if you know this, uh, Maddie, but Nancy is a sibling Nancy, uh, Nancy had a brother who had Down syndrome. And, and, I, and I have this theory that siblings grow up to be the, the most incredible people on the face of the planet. That you guys, you know, have more patience, you have more acceptance, you just have a bigger skill set. And I, and I think that all of that is wonderful, but we mustn't forget that that must be born from a whole lot of adversity, right? So if there yeah, was I one... If there was one thing that you wish, and Nancy answered this too, what do you wish that the general public, the people out there in the world knew about siblings that they don't know? Yeah. Wow. So much. Um, I think just that the, the, we have to make a lot of sacrifices that I don't think are often seen in terms of our time. Um our energy, our um, priorities. And of course, it's what we want to do. But I think sometimes people forget that we aren't just, you know, the fun um, sibling that gets to like play with our sibling. We're also the parent or the, we're the, um, the caretaker, sometimes a doctor, you know, um, we have to fit a lot of roles. And I think we kind of have to grow up a little faster than a lot of people or a lot of kids our age. Um, at least that's what I kind of noticed among my peers is I was more, um, mature and more, I guess, easygoing because I had been through it all, you know, meltdowns and Ralph's, you know, I've, I've experienced it all. And I, I felt very, um, 
I don't know, like, I wish people realized that it's really difficult and it has all its, you know, rewards, but at least my peers growing up, I wish they would have kind of recognized that I was doing a lot more. Um, and just, it's just hard. And I think just any compassion that could be given would be great, but just support, I think, is what people should keep in mind that you never know what's happening, you know, behind closed doors. Um, you never know what's, you know, you never know what someone's going through. I think that goes for everything, but especially with siblings. Right. I want to applaud, yeah, I want to applaud you, Maddie, for doing this um, and recognizing this need. Um, from my own experience growing up with a brother with Down syndrome, I often felt alone and had a need for connection with other siblings that had similar experiences. So I wish that something like this had been around when I was younger, because like I said, I oftentimes felt isolated, you know, and I wanted to connect with other siblings that had similar experiences. Absolutely. Absolutely. Amen to that, Nancy. Now, uh, Maddie, I, you know, every time that I've been around you or been, your mother was on the show last week and your mom is so proud of you. Like, I don't think anybody could be more proud of a person. Um, but I, I don't know if you know this about her, Nancy. Maddie is quite the performer. Oh. Um, and, and we, we, you know, because you're a wonderful young lady, we're not going to give away what school you're at because we don't believe in giving personal information away. But I know I've been dying. I, I've been seeing a little bit on Facebook, seeing that you're, you're in your senior year. It's now, I'm sure you've put, um, some applications and I don't know about you, Nancy, but I'm interested in knowing what, where Maddie's going once she graduates. Yeah, um, me too. I'm, it's March, so I'm waiting for all those um, decisions to come back. But I am planning on studying acting and potentially getting um, my master's in acting so I could, you know, teach at a level um, where I could have the uh, power to make the world of acting and um, media and just performance more inclusive for those with disabilities. Um, I don't know if you know of the theater company Deaf West, but they put on productions that have deaf actors. And that's such the biggest inspiration for me. I want to do something like that. So um, my goal is to, you know, go through college for acting, but also the end goal is to um, maybe make a theater company or just have a platform where I can ad advocate for um, actors with disabilities, because I think that's really important. I've seen my brother, he loves dancing. There was He was in a dance class. Um, there's so many... Uh, shows that have characters of uh, characters with disabilities that are played by actors who don't have the disability and I kind of want to improve the representation in media um, through my college career somehow I'm gonna add some classes on there to make it work but yeah I that's a growing it. field as there are more and more shows that are employing actors on the autism spectrum to play actors that are on the autism spectrum. It's a real trend. And um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Miracle Project. That's uh, a, a community that offers experiences, classes, and theater productions for, for those on the spectrum. And my son goes to an online class and has for a number of years. He goes to what's called Triple Threat, which is dancing, acting, and singing, and loves that. So, uh, I think you're in, in a field that's ripe with opportunity. Well, and you know, you're singing my song uh, because uh, that's what I went to college for. I have my MFA in acting from the National Theater Conservatory, and I used to teach college theater. 
So I, and then, and then I took a sharp left turn into autism when my child had autism and, uh, we, uh, you know, I've had the opportunity to direct a little bit, but I've been busy with this. I keep saying, I'm going to go back into theater, um, inclusive theater, but that hasn't happened because I'm busy here. Uh, digress greatly. And I know you, you got to get back to class, Maddie, but let's talk one more time. What, what you're asking for is for people to fill out a survey. Is it do you want siblings to fill out the survey or you want caregivers who have sibling children who fills out the survey survey? Yeah. So it's, um, siblings, uh, ages 12 to 19 who have lived with, um, a sibling with autism for more than two years. It could be step, I'm a step sibling. So it could be step siblings, half siblings, but just have lived for, you know, two years to have that enough, you know, experience, um, living with someone with autism. Um, and yeah, it's, takes like five minutes to fill out. It's very simple. It would mean the world to me. I'm trying to get to 30 responses. So um, any anybody that's you know eligible, it, it's very quick and easy. Um, but yeah, 12 to 19, there is a, a parent consent form that if they're under 18, they, um, they just need to, I think, write yes, that I consent. But besides that, it's um, for your kids ages 12 to 19. And Traven is telling us that the link right now is in the video. So if you're watching this, the link is in in the beginning in the podcast description. So that because it's a big long link, we've got it on the screen right now. For those of you who are listening in podcast and you're like, I would do that, but I can't see. Sorry. Get Shannon Freeze there. Oh, you got me back. Am I back? If you don't have the ability to do the survey because you're not a sibling or you don't have a sibling that lives in your house, I'll bet you know someone. And let me just say that all of us at some point need information. So help Maddie out. She's an amazing sibling. Help this young woman out uh, because she's got a bright future in front of her. Don't let her down. Make sure that you share it with somebody so that we can get her. She just needs 30 responses, y'all. Uh, it's going to take what, 10 minutes for them to do it? Yeah, five minutes. And if you um, have any questions or like want the, the, the link isn't working. My email is mads, M-A-D-S five, four at iCloud.com. Okay. I don't know that I love giving out your email, but, (laughs) but it's, it's a, yeah, it's just, it's just, it's like a school, like school email. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, I'm just always very mindful of that, you know, because that goes out into the world. Anyway, so please take the time to um, do the survey for Maddie. We have to let her go back because she's she's in a high school class right now. Please thank your teacher for letting us out. Please give your entire family hugs for us. I happen to know that you are an amazing sibling, that you have been such a support to Boyd. You've been on the show before with Boyd. How old were you when you were on? Was Were you like 11, 12? Yeah, I think I was in like freshman year. So probably yeah, like 13, 14. Okay. Well, and look, here you are about to graduate. I can't wait to see where you're going to go for undergraduate. Um, and, and we'll look forward to hearing all that. And if there's anything else that we can do, we'll make sure that we talk about this on the next couple of shows. Uh, but please let us, it, let us know when you've gotten enough responses so that I'm not sending more responses than you need. Okay. I will. I will. Any excess responses are greatly appreciated too. Thank you so much. (laughs) All right. Well, give our love to your mom and to Larry. Uh, we love your entire family. Uh, This whole week as we've been through Mardi Gras, I can't help but think of you guys because 
um, her family does the Mardi Gras for autism. Nancy, oh, right. and of course, of course, and of course we've not been able to do this for the last couple of years because of, you know, what, right. uh, but we hope to get back to that sooner as opposed to later. So Maddie, thank you so much. Thank, thank you, Maddie. you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. Oh, Nancy, what a full, full show that we've had here. Oh, we didn't even, I should have mentioned about Coda to her because we've been talking about Coda a lot. Did you happen to watch the SAG Awards the other night? I didn't, but I heard it went Best Supporting Actor and Best Ensemble class, cast went to Coda. Yes. Have you seen it yet? I have not seen it yet. I plan on doing that. I think that you will be really moved by it. There are so many aspects of it that are so moving, but certainly there is a sibling aspect of it. Okay. Um, but it's like, you know, I can't identify as a sibling, but I, I always identify that my mother had right. a physical handicap, yes. not, not anything else, but she had a physical handicap and it changed the way our family did things and looked at things and, I certainly didn't realize that at the time because I assumed that that was everybody's upbringing, but there were things, you know, that were different that we put focus on because of that. And in Coda, not only is she a sibling, but she is also a daughter. Her parents are deaf and her brother is deaf. Okay. And, um, and it is, I think it's a lovely, lovely movie. It is so well done. Uh, it is certainly deserving of best cast at SAG. And if you ask my husband, he says it's best picture of the year. And he's seen all 10 okay. uh, for Oscars. So we'll, what, ne we'll what network is it on, Shannon? It is available on Apple TV. Apple TV. And, okay. Yeah. Um, so, and Apple TV, I think they still have a seven day um, trial period where you sign up. And then you, if you want to, you cancel it in seven days. Uh, so I always tell people, get yourself together, get your seven day trial, start with CODA because you don't want to miss CODA. And then after you've seen CODA, treat yourself to some of the other things that they have available, but start with Ted Lasso because right. Ted, Ted Lasso is divine. Um, but CODA is, is absolutely incredible. And uh, we absolutely loved it. My husband was so moved by it the other day that when afterwards, when we were talking about it. He couldn't even talk, Nancy. Mm. He was just, and then he and Nava Paskowitz Asner were having an argument on a friendly argument on Facebook last night because I had recommended it uh, to her to watch, and she said, "You didn't warn me that it's very emotional." And I did. I warned her, and uh -huh. she said, she said I cried so much, and and Jim said, "Yeah, I think I cried more than you." And they were having this competition. Mm. She said, "No." I cried so much. I lost a contact <laughs> and he was putting up, uh, gifts of, uh, him, you know, of, of somebody sobbing. It was, it was like, you know what you need, you need to win this. Um, but it's very emotional, but very uplifting. Oh my gosh. And Troy Katzer, who is actually a member of deaf West is the one who won the supporting actor. Oh, okay. And he, you know, there were so many good performances in that supporting cat actor category. Um, but, but I, I was so glad that he won. I thought he deserved it. Have you seen the, I'm sorry, I'm obsessed with the movies right now. I'm obsessed. Get, and, and we're about to, in a couple of weeks, have a special Oscar show uh, here right. on, on Autism Live, Nancy, ah. where Moira Giamatteo, who is famous for her reviews, she's an autism mom is going to join me where we're, we're going to call ourselves the autism mom, Siskel and Ebert <laughs> and, oh, and go through. 
because we totally disagree on almost all the movies. But what what have you seen and what have you liked? Uh, well, let's see. I've seen The Power of the Dog. Mm, yes. Um, I, I didn't hate it like, like you did. Yeah. Um, yeah. I saw The Lost Daughter. Mm. Yes, uh, and you didn't like that Tick- one, right? I didn't like it. Yeah. Uh, I saw Tick, Tick, Boom. Which and did you like? For what it is, I liked it. I'm Okay. You know, I had a little bit of a hard time getting into it. Okay. All but right. appreciated it as a musical. Okay. Um, so have you seen Licorice Pizza? No, I have not. You, I want to know if you like Licorice Pizza. I think that Bradley Cooper and Licorice Pizza is one of the most delicious things that I've seen in a long time. I okay. thought it was delightful. And, I, and, and it's not up for Best Picture, but did you see The Tender Bar? No, I want to see that. I have a feeling that you would like that as well. Right. Um, but, but I think that you and I run slightly different in tastes. Yeah. A little bit different. Um, like that's Moira. what makes the world go round. I can't wait. That to- is what makes the world yeah, go round. I can't wait to see your Oscar show. That's going to be great fun. Yeah. Well, we've been I watching. Love, I have to I- say whether I disagree with you or not, I love your reviews. They're oh, thanks. I've been enjoying it. It's, it's like a new hobby of mine, that and pottery. I'm doing away with everything else. Okay. I used to do needlepoint and I used to do all kinds of things. I'm, I've decided I'm not doing any other crafts, but pottery and I'm writing the reviews and I'm letting everything else go. Very good. I've reached that age. My, my mother was somebody who did a lot of different things her whole life. And then she got to about this age and decided she was just going to be a quilter. Okay. She'd make all these things. And then she said, Nope, I'm just a quilter now and let go of everything else. You're somebody who's very eclectically talented well, I do. I take creative writing courses. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you also were a brilliant sculptor and a painter in your I, own right. I have done that. I haven't lately. My son's doing all the painting now. Well, when you name somebody Wyatt Jackson, I don't know what you <laughs> expect. Has he got any new paintings of late, Nancy? Yes, but he just sold uh, a painting yesterday called Big Sur of the Ocean. Uh, oh, he's, oh. He sold about... Um, Seven paintings in the last month and a half. Uh, does he get so excited when he sells them? You know, he doesn't. I tell him you sold the painting and he kind of was like, ah. But he, well, loves, he loves turning them out. What does he want to purchase? What would be the thing that would like be exciting for him if he had the money to buy? In terms of art? No, like if he's at the store. Oh. And he wants to purchase something. What does Wyatt want? When he to has buy? money to spend, he like he like today. He's going to Dave and Buster's to do video. Okay, okay. that that excites him. Okay, and so can can you do with it? Because I always think that money is so the way money is right now is so ethereal, right? Uh-huh. We have a we have a card. We stick it in. I remember my sister's kids saying to us, "Can we go?" to, you know, this water park or whatever. And my sister said, no, we cannot go to the water park. It's very expensive. That's saved for special occasions. And my niece, neurotypical five said, well, let's just pull up to the machine and print more money because, you know, you stick your card in the ATM and money comes out. She didn't, she didn't equate it as being anything that came from work. And I think that's very difficult for everyone right now that money is, you know, it's, it's not this thing. But, but what we were told at some point to do with Jem was when he did something, then give him, hand him cash money 
and then walk him to the counter to buy the thing that he wanted to do so that he could get the connection yeah. of, oh, I did that work. I got this cash. That cash got me that so that it makes the connection. I, I wonder if, if Wyatt gets it that when when he sells something, that's money in his pocket. for right. That's autonomy. Yeah, we use it for art lessons. Anything he makes off his paintings, he oh, has one great. teacher who's excellent, but she's very expensive. She's $100 an hour. Oh, my gosh. And okay. for well, him to study with her, he has to sell paintings. I'm sorry. That's the only way that's, we can afford it. No kidding. No kidding. Well, Nancy, uh, we're out of time. I don't know how that happens. But um, I do want to say that this weekend, you know, knock on wood, all willing, everything goes according to plan. Um, the, I'm going to be at Cal Abba this weekend. And um, I'm, I'm speaking on a panel that's about making ABA more inclusive and more mm. aware, ABA professionals being more aware of neuro, neurodiversity and reducing ableistic um, tropes and, and saying things that are, you know, pure ableism. Um, so I'm excited about that. I'll have much to tell. And then where is, Monday, where is that again, Shannon? It's in Santa Clara, California. So, okay. um, and then on Monday, we're going to have Kelly Birmingham uh, on the show and she's got her own podcast. She's a fabulous BCBA who has her own podcast that looks back at the last 25 years of ABA and takes on, she's got amazing guests and they, they talk about a lot of the things that we talk about here, but from a, a really good, inclusive ABA professional perspective, uh, which I super love. So she's going to be here with us on Monday. And um, of course, Dr. Grampuche is back on Tuesday. And I wish I could remember, oh my gosh, do you know who we're having? Well, the following Monday after that, we're having Dr. Jonathan Tarbox back on the show. It's been many years since we've had him on the show, but I can't remember who we have for Wednesday. I'll figure that out. Um, I think we're having uh, Karen Fessel on on Wednesday. I think that's who's next Wednesday. And then I don't remember who we have, Nancy, but I'll, okay. I'll, I'll figure that out. Okay. Um, but big week next week. And, and there'll be lots that I'll want to share about what happened at Calaba. It's the first time that I'm going to be around a group of people um, in a long time. And uh, we'll see what the conversation is about and share that here. But we'll be back then on Monday. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me. And give yourselves a hug from me. Bye-bye for now. Bye-bye.